Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. We are entering new territory here in the Gospel of Matthew. And we begin this morning a new series entitled The Mysteries of the Kingdom. The Mysteries of the Kingdom, focusing on eight parables that are brought here to disciples' attention and to our attention by our Lord Jesus Christ. And as you pick up your Bibles and as you turn to Matthew 13, I would just like to begin by reminding you of what a serious thing it is that we're doing here week after week. We, friends, open up the very words of the living God that are written down for us by the Spirit of God and are translated into our language so that we may understand and so that we may apply these truths. In particular, the words that we have been looking at in the Gospel of Matthew, and specifically Matthew chapter 13, are the very words of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Church, think about this. Can there be any greater privilege than to hear directly from Jesus Christ? I think it escapes our notice oftentimes when we just look at the words, when we just look at the white sheet of paper, black text. And sometimes we don't understand the privilege. We forget. We forget what we have before us. These are the words of Christ. And friends, with such great privilege comes great responsibility as well. As we read and as we listen, we are responsible for what we hear. If upon hearing Christ's words, we choose not to receive it or to ignore it altogether, if we choose not to respond in humility and faith and a great desire to know and to learn, if we choose to critique the word of Christ instead of submitting to it, then we are making a very dangerous choice. When we demonstrate that we no longer want to hear from Christ, because we do not believe and obey, what happens is he removes from us the ability to understand the word as a form of judgment. And nothing, friends, can be frightening than that. Opening up God's word, reading it, and not understanding a thing. But, if we hear God's word and we, as Isaiah in 66 says, if we tremble at his word, we hear the message of the truth and we respond in genuine faith in Christ and his word, coming to him for instruction so that we may be blessed. We are making a blessed choice when we respond by faith. God allows us to hear his word, understand it, and then as a result of it, we become transformed by it more and more and more. As Paul says, when we behold Christ, then we are transformed into his image day by day by day. And so I want us to keep this in mind because this is the very theme that Jesus addresses here as he begins this section of parables. With this introduction, I'd like to read the first 17 verses of Matthew 13 and answer the question that Jesus asked or that disciples asked of Christ in verse 13. Why do you speak to them in parables? Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 13 as we begin reading. That day, 
Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. A large crowd or large crowds gathered to him. So he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables saying, behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell upon beside the road and birds came and ate them up. Others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprung up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked them out and others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus said to them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Otherwise I speak to them, therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull with their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see there with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see in your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. As we look at these verses here before us, we're just going to be focusing on the introduction here, first, four, first three verses and then 10 through 7. But as we think through these verses, I want to present to you this big theme or this, this overarching idea of what we're discussing here this morning. Why do you speak to them in parables, Jesus says. And the answer is that parables teach that understanding of God's truth is graciously giving to those who believe in Christ and his word. Parables teach that understanding of God's, appropriating his truth, is graciously giving to those who believe in Christ and believe in his word. Before we look at each parable in the coming weeks, I want us to first um, understand the reason why parables are giving. And so here, Jesus gives us three reasons why. One is based on the context, and the other two reasons are from verses 10 through 17. Number one, I want us to see the first reason. Jesus preaches in parables, first of all, to express a turning point in his ministry. Express a turning point in his ministry. Think about this, when you read the Gospels, uh, you get this uh, sense that Jesus was always involved in some kind of ministry. You just never see Jesus chilling, right? What are you doing? I'm just chilling. 
I'm just relaxing, you know, I'm not doing much. You, you, you never find Jesus doing that. He's always healing, he's always teaching, he's always preaching. And every once in a while, the gospel writers, they uh, sort of uncover and give us a scene, a glimpse of Jesus retreating into a secluded place somewhere in the wilderness or somewhere by the sea or somewhere in the mountain to spend quality time, alone time with the Father to meditate, he needed rest, he needed to be in solitude. Well, here in 13.1, Matthew tells us that after Jesus had finished speaking to the crowds, that same day he goes out to the sea. That day Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And it seems to me that this could be another one of these instances where Jesus goes to spend some time with God. Think about this. He had just told the crowds how they must relate to him in verses 46 through 50. It is not through blood that you relate to to Jesus, right? He says, who are my brothers and sister and mother? Who are they? It is through faith. He points to his disciples and says, this is how you relate to me, by doing what pleases the Father. He had just finished rebuking the crowds in chapter 12, the Pharisees and the scribes for their rejection of him as the Messiah. Now it seems that he goes out to find a quiet place by the sea to to pray and to commune with the Father, almost remind himself what he did in chapter 11. If you go to chapter 11 with me, right after he pronounces judgment on unrepenting cities here in verses 20 through 24, look what Jesus says. He begins to pray. He begins to pray to Father and praise the Father for his divine and sovereign purposes. He wants to be secure in his father's will. When everyone is rejecting him, he's reminding himself of God's sovereign purpose. It seems that Jesus may be doing exactly the same thing. Let's go out and let's sit, let's meditate, let's enjoy my father's presence. And we don't know how long, how much time elapsed before we read Matthew writes, and large crowds gathered to him again. Large crowds gather. I mean, this group is an amazing group of people. Time after time, think about this. Jesus, point blank, condemns them for their unbelief, for improper response to his message. Yet what do they do? They continue to flock to Christ, right? In, in, in chapter 11, 20 through 24, as I mentioned already, Jesus said that these people, this generation, This crowd here, they were worse off than Tyre and Sidon and Sodom because they haven't repented at his preaching. So the question is, why do they continue to follow Jesus? Why do they come out? And it seems that they they really want more of the same. They want more miracles. They want more signs. They want more excitement. They gather here and they press upon Jesus, Matthew writes, so much so that Jesus needs to now retreat into the boat to get away from the crowd. Again and again, we see Jesus or the crowds coming to Jesus not to give what he desires, but to get what they want. They're not interested in believing. They're not interested in taking his yoke upon themselves as Jesus invited them to do in order to learn from him. No, they only want to take. In our text here, we see in verses 14 through 15, 
Jesus quotes Isaiah the prophet, to which we'll get to in a minute. But the people's response here reminds me of another prophet, prophet Ezekiel. Look what God tells Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 30 through 32. Look how God paints this picture of Ezekiel's crowd and their response to Ezekiel's message. Listen as I read. He says, but as for you, son of man, your fellow citizens who talk about you by the walls and in the doorways of the houses, speak to one another, each to his brother saying, come now and hear the message in which comes from the Lord. They come to you as people come and sit before you as my people and hear your words, but they do not do them for they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth and their hearts goes after their gain. Behold, you are to them like a sensual song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not practice them. So when it comes to pass, at surely it will, then they will know that a prophet has been in their midst. You know what God is telling Ezekiel? He basically tells him, listen, I give you the message, but when you speak, you're just like a musician to them. Right? They buy tickets to the concert and they come listen to you because they love your voice. They like your stage presence. You're just entertainment to them. Right? They're entertained by you. But, he says, they are not doing what you tell them to do. So when their judgment comes that you're pronouncing right now, then they will know that you're for real. You're not an entertainer. You're not just an actor then. You're not just a mere singer. You communicate the word of God. The crowds that surrounded Jesus here are exactly the same. They come to Jesus as to a miracle worker, a healer, to get relief from their pain, to get their demons cast out, to continue to just enjoy physical life. And friends, we do see this kind of reaction to Christ and the gospel today, don't we? Crowds gathering. Many people seek Jesus to get what they want, but not to give what he requires. Many churches are filled up with people today who come to hear, like Ezekiel's crowd, to hear music, to listen to smooth speaking, and they only walk away thinking about how they can get something. They walk away thinking that they're good. Ezekiel's crowds, Jesus's crowds, today's crowds, friends, they are very much the same. And on this very occasion, disciples, or, or the crowds rather, they come to Jesus thinking that it'll just be another day. It'll be another day, Jesus will say something, and then he will heal some more, and then we will go home, and we will repeat it over and over and over, except this time, Jesus doesn't perform any miracles. He doesn't even teach them. You won't find the word teach here in this chapter. Matthew says he only speaks to them, which is a different word than to teach or to preach. He speaks to them in parable. Look what Matthew writes, and he spoke many things to them in parables. Different turning point here. What is a parable, you ask? Well, literally a parable means to throw something alongside of. 
So a parable here is just a story that is thrown alongside some truth in order to vividly explain or illustrate this truth. Often parables, as we will find out here, they are illustrated as comparison. Comparison, using the words like like or as. When we go through these passages here in Matthew chapter 13, we will see that Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. So he's trying to illustrate by drawing a comparison. So it's a story that illustrates a spiritual truth in a very profound and and very memorable way. I mean, you know about the parable of the sower, right? You know about the mustard seed, the leaven. What about the pearl of great prize or the hidden treasure? These illustrations, these parables, they, they stick in your mind. You may not know necessarily what they mean, but the illustration is there. The story is vivid. But I must also say that these parables that are found in these chapters, they're not just mere illustrations. They're not just pictures that clarify the truth or, or aid your memory. These parables, they mark a turning point in the gospel. And here's where we need to be reminded that when we open up to Matthew's gospel or any other gospel specifically, these gospels, the four versions, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they are inspired biography of Christ. So so we can't just basically read them and point blank do everything that, that it says here. They are inspired biography of Jesus Christ. And so we need to come to this passage in order to understand as the original audience would, first and foremost. And think about this. Up to this point, Jesus was speaking plainly to his people, teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. But the crowds, as we saw, especially in chapter 12, but even leading to chapter 12, along with the leaders, they rejected everything that Jesus had said. And now, Jesus employs parables in order to make the truth not more simple, but to conceal the truth from the crowd. See what he's doing? Not to illustrate and make it more vivid, but to make it more confusing to the people. And that is exactly how disciples see it because look what they ask in verse 10. Why do you speak? Something happened here. I mean, you were very clear on the, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Very clear. But now all of a sudden, different discourse. What is going on? Why do you speak to them in parables? Now, it is true that Jesus employed parables before, but not exclusively through parables, This is the turning point. Jesus is hiding, he's concealing, he's veiling the truth of the kingdom from these crowds because of how they previously responded to the clear revelation of Christ. The explicit truths or the spiritual principles taught in these parables are never explained to the crowds, you will notice. He only explains, for instance, the parable of the sower or the parable of the tares and wheat to the disciples, not publicly, but when they're in the house. Private interpretation. To the crowds, these were just puzzle pieces that they knew somehow related to his kingdom, but they did not understand them. They could not put the puzzle pieces together because they had rejected the king. So why did Jesus speak? 
in parables, first of all, contextually here and as a point of introduction, he spoke in parables to express a turning point in his ministry. The king is among the people, but the people don't recognize the king. But Jesus must continue to reveal the truth about the kingdom, about his coming, about the establishment of his kingdom. So he switches to parables in order to conceal the truth from those who do not believe, from those who do not receive him as king. That's number one, to express a turning point. Number two, to emphasize God's grace and human responsibility. Why did Jesus preach in parables or teach in parables? Because he wanted to emphasize God's grace and our responsibility. Look with me at verse 11. Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Jesus' parables, friends, emphasize God's grace the, the, the overarching theme, beloved, in, in these verses here is the grace and mercy of God. We, we can't miss it. We can't miss it. He says here, it has been granted. It has been given to you. You, in other words, are gifted. What you understand, disciples obviously understand that there is a, a deeper meaning to what he is saying here. And he says, to you it has been granted. The the tense here, granted or or given in some of your versions here, it implies that something has been granted in the past and continues to be effective in the future. You have this understanding before to realize who Jesus is. When Jesus came up to Matthew, the tax collector, and says, Matthew, follow me. God gave him understanding to see that this rabbi is different from all the other rabbis that walked around and called disciples to follow them. And Jesus says, to you it has been granted to know something, to know who this Jesus is and to know the mysteries of the kingdom. This is all of God's grace. They are blessed. These disciples are blessed, not because they had comprehended these truths on their own. No, it is only by God's grace that they know who Jesus is. It is by God's grace that they follow Jesus. It is by God's grace that they are giving further revelation about Jesus and his kingdom. They are the 12 because God is gracious to them. They are part of the family, as he says in verses 46 through 50. They're part of the family of God because of grace. And same thing extends to us this morning. This is all about grace. It's a special gift to realize who Jesus is, to believe in him, to have our sins forgiven, for by grace you have been saved. It has been given to you. And as a family unit here, these disciples are told secrets. They're told mysteries. To you it has been granted as those who are part of my family to know something that others don't. Mystery of the kingdom. The the term here, mystery, refers to some divine truth that was hidden in the past but is now being revealed by God's initiative. 
something that was secret, something that was hidden in the Old Testament. But now because of the presence of the very Son of God, who is the Word of God, he begins to communicate and reveal more of God's truth. It is a divine revelation that God chooses to progressively reveal. In other words, there are certain aspects, for instance, of the person and the work of Jesus Christ and his kingdom that are revealed in the Old Testament, right? We've looked at many prophecies that came true here that Matthew said have been fulfilled by looking at all the prophets, minor, major, even going back to the law, right, that says in Jesus Christ, these things are fulfilled, But now Jesus is further clarifying what was spoken and he's giving even more information, more revelation. Apostle Paul gave a definition of the mystery in Romans 16, 25 through 26. And he says that he preached the gospel that he preached, quote, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has has been kept secret for long ages past but now is manifested. And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has made known to all the nations. So there was this truth that was hidden in the past, but now is being revealed, now is being manifested. In Ephesians 3.3, Paul writes this, that by revelation, there was made known to me the mystery. And in 3.10, he adds, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So Jesus says here, because you are mine, because you believe in me, I am here giving you something. It's all of grace, but I'm here giving you something that hasn't been revealed before, new information. What was revealed about the kingdom? in the Old Testament. Well, it is no mystery that God would send the Messiah, right, who would rule on the throne of David. That was promised in the Old Testament. Many awaited for the arrival of this king and his kingdom. That's why you you come across questions like, is it at this time you are building the kingdom, right? Hosanna, here comes the king. Magi come to Jerusalem, where is the king who has been born? The king of the Jews. Everybody waited for the arrival of the king. Yet when Jesus appeared, he wasn't like anything anybody expected. He came as a servant, right? This is what Matthew quotes for us here in chapter 12. Isaiah 42, in verses 18 through 21, he came as a servant. He is gentle and humble in heart, 1129. He came to call sinners and to save them from their sins, Later on in in Matthew 16, Jesus will make it plain that he came, quote, to suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. It doesn't get more clear than this, right? This is why I came. I didn't come here to establish the kingdom right now. I came here to die. He came the first time Friends, to accomplish redemptions, redemption, not to establish his earthly kingdom. Most of the prophets in the Old Testament, they prophesied in relation to God's kingdom and his second coming, this rule 
that would be established, this judgment that would come in in his second coming. So each of these parables here in Matthew 13 teaches and provides specific insight into the gospel message of Christ and his kingdom that goes from his first coming to his second coming. It's this interperiod between the two comings, a period we often call the church age. We're in this period right now. These mysteries are being revealed, but not everybody understands them. Only those to whom God grants, it's all of grace. Understanding who God is, understanding who Jesus is, friends, is from God. Remember in Matthew 16, right before Jesus mentions the first time about the church where he says, I will build my church, he asks his disciples, hey, who do people say that I am? Right, and many answers were offered and Peter stands up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I know who you are. And Jesus said, blessed are you because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but God, my father who is in heaven, he revealed it to you. Not everybody sees, not everyone understands. God must grant understanding of who Jesus is and of the nature of his kingdom. It's all of grace. Dear friends, if, if you know and if you love Jesus Christ today, it can be chalked up to one thing and one thing alone, and that is God's grace. God's grace, it has been given to you. If you understand the mysteries of the kingdom, it's because of his favor. Because think about this, naturally, Romans 3.11 says, there is none who understand. That's how we come out of the womb, dumb, in things pertaining to God. None who understand. To understand then and to know Jesus and about his kingdom is of God. The point Jesus is making here is that no one deserves this mercy and this enlightenment. No one earns it or receives it because they're good. Friend, if you have the spiritual eyes to know who Jesus is, we need to react with praise this morning. Praise him. To you, it has been granted. There's another truth that these parables emphasize, however. Verse 11 here, it might sound very harsh to some. I mean, why would God let some know the truth and hide it from others? Why would Jesus speak of the things that they could not understand? Well, as Jesus already said in 11.25, the Father reveals these truths at his disposal, and that's exactly what he's emphasizing here. This is of grace, but there's another emphasis, that not only do these parables here, they emphasize God's grace, but they also emphasize human responsibility, human responsibility. Verse 12, for whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Jesus here emphasizes this truth that everyone is responsible for the truth that you receive. Act on the truth you know first. Now, we all know this concept. I think we all understand it. 
Think about back to your childhood, or maybe if you're a parent, you do this often as we do. Maybe you're getting ready to eat lunch or dinner, and your parents, they put some food on your plate, and it just so happens to be the food that you really, really enjoy. It's your favorite, whatever that is, think about it. And so they put that on your plate, and before you even taste it, you say what? Can I get some more? Give me more. Why? Because you know it's your favorite, and you're going to eat it all. And what would be the typical answer your parent would give you? They would say something like this. First, eat what's on your plate, and then we'll give you more. First, eat what's on your plate, and then we'll give you more. Verse 12, for whoever has, for whoever has. Friends, again, all revelation of truth is grace. Whatever you have is grace. It's given to you. It's put on your plate freely by God. None of us deserve it. We all deserve hell. We all deserve wrath and eternal punishment. Christ's original readers, his original listeners, they did not deserve anything. Yet, friends, look, in love, Jesus comes to them, comes to his nation, full of compassion. Jesus goes throughout all their cities. And we read in chapter 9, verse 35 through 36, that he goes through every city and he heals and he preaches and he teaches. And how do they respond? How did that generation respond? They refuse to act on the truth that is given to them. They refuse to eat what's on the plate. They think they don't need the king, so they refuse to believe. And friends, as a form of judgment, Jesus says that even what they had will be veiled from them. They will stop seeing the significance of who I am, of what I am saying to them. They didn't have the ears to hear, so that is why he begins to speak in parables. They were most privileged generation to hear and to see Christ. Humanly speaking, they had Jesus standing right next to them, and yet they did not listen to him. They did not act on what was given so that more could be given to them. So he speaks to them in parables. Parables teach that understanding of God's truth is graciously giving to those who believe in Jesus and in his word. Friends, whatever amount of truth God has given you today, you are liable for it. You are responsible for it. You must act on it. God is not unjust. God is merciful. He is compassionate. This truth of Christ is before you this very moment. The person of Christ and his work and the significance of who he is and what he has done is preached to us week after week after week. Every time you open up the word of God, you are exposed to the truth of God. How do you respond is the question. How do you respond to the spoken to the preached word about Jesus Christ. And this not only goes to the unbelievers in this room or anywhere else who are listening, who refuse to subject themselves to Christ in faith. This goes to all of us believers. How do we respond to the revealed truth of God's word in every area of our life? 
Do we believe God's word? Do we submit to God's word? The fact that we can read and understand his mercy is all of grace. Oh, let us be humble before the Lord to do just that. To believe and continue to believe. So we see that these parables here, they express, first of all, a turning point in Jesus' ministry. And they emphasize how privileged, how fortunate the disciples were, how fortunate we are here to receive. But also they emphasize human responsibility that all of us are liable for what we know. Now consider this final reason that flows out of the second. Jesus spoke in parables, number three, to expose the hearts of his hearers, to expose the hearts of his hearers, to expose the hearts to themselves and to others. He wasn't gonna give any more truth until they first dealt with the truth that was right in front of them. They knew who Jesus is. Are you gonna come and you're gonna submit to Christ? Are you going to trust him? And then you will become his disciple who will have understanding of this truth. Number two, there there are two hearts here that Jesus exposes, or these parables expose. Two types of hearts. They expose the blindness of the unbelievers and the blessedness of the believers. Blindness first of the unbelievers. Look what he says in verse 13. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. Because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. He says, look, they all have the physical members of the body, eyes and ears, but they don't do what they're supposed to be doing. They can't perceive, spiritually speaking. They cannot perceive spiritual reality. In other words, hearing or seeing and hearing should equal understanding and proper response. If you understand, then you will appreciate who Jesus is and you will properly respond to him. Those who saw the works of Jesus and heard his teaching ought to have understood who he is. Wow, this man sounds like what we've been waiting for. Jesus, the Messiah. And then in verses 14 and 15, Jesus proceeds to quote Isaiah, the very passage that Kirill read from us this morning. This prophecy that Jesus says is being fulfilled right before your eyes. And remember, we're not going to go to Isaiah 6, but remember what we read in Isaiah 6. Isaiah is given the vision of the Lord sitting on his heavenly throne, and he is high, lofty, and exalted. And it was at this time that the Lord purifies his lips and and he calls him into ministry to be the prophet to his people. Who will go for us? And Isaiah is like, here I am, send me. But at that very moment, he doesn't know that he would be delivering a message that the people would not receive. A message that would in fact result in judgment on the people who heard it. Isaiah was prophesying, think about this, he was prophesying to his own people about Jesus, who would one day come to be their savior and king. And then this very Jesus here in our passage, we see this savior and king about whom Isaiah prophesied, he's standing right in front of them. 
And yet they heard his words, not Isaiah's, about the king, the king's word. They see his miracles and signs, and they do not perceive and they do not welcome him as king. Look at the progression here in verse 14. Here's what's being fulfilled. Jesus says, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. They hear without understanding. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. They see, but they cannot understand. They can't, it's, it's, all, it, it, it's all foggy. They, they can't perceive. And then the question is, why? Why is that? And he answers here, for the heart. For the heart. The reason why we have eye problems and ear problems is because of the heart. For the heart of this people has become dull. The heart is dull. The heart is sluggish or, or literally thick with fat. You can't penetrate. It can't pump anymore blood in order to give you the proper activity in order to perceive and in order to understand. The heart is dull. It's blinded. They hear new teaching from God, but they do not respond to it. And look at this, verse 15. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. They have closed their eyes. What does that mean? That means they deliberately choose not to see. They're looking at Jesus and they close their eyes because they don't want to hear Jesus. They don't want to see Jesus. They did not act on the truth that they heard and saw before them. Now, here's the catch here in verse 15. Otherwise, otherwise. Why did they do that? Why? You can translate this in order that not. In other words, here's what he's saying. They close their eyes so that they do not see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and repent and would be healed. They closed their eyes because they did not want to submit to Christ. They did not want to repent. This word return here is the word that's oftentimes used as repentance. They did not want to repent. They did not want the healer of our souls to heal them. That's why. If they had done that, they would have understood everything that the disciples had understood. But they deliberately chose not to repent. They deliberately chose not to be healed by Jesus. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, where he hangs out with the tax collectors and sinners, dining with them, and the Pharisees, they see it and they accuse him. Why do you dine with them? But Jesus, when he heard of this, verse 12, he says, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. And you guys are sick. Except the problem is, tax collectors and sinners, they know it, but you refuse to see. You had this report from your doctor who says, you got a major problem, friend, 
And instead of addressing the problem, instead of going to the specialist, what you do is you take that paper, you crumble it all up, you throw it in a garbage can, and you act as if you're good. Jesus came, he says here, I came. Um, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call righteous, but sinners. I came to call the sick, but you close your eyes because you think you're healthy and that's why I can't heal you. I can't heal you. And so Jesus, think about this, he begins to speak in parables because I think he's applying his very own principle that he says in, in chapter seven on the Sermon on the Mount in verse six where he says, don't throw pearl before swine. Don't throw pearls before swine. I told them enough for them to turn around. They continue to refuse. I'm not gonna offer them any more mysteries of the kingdom. But they not only expose the blindness of the unbelievers, they also expose the blessedness of the believers. And really quickly here at the end, I want us to look at verse 16 and 17. And we'll look at these verses in the coming weeks as we will study through these verses. But blessed are your eyes because they see in your ears because they hear. You know, as soon as the disciples, they, they heard this parable of the sower, they knew that there was something more than just agricultural insights that Jesus was giving them. Because they immediately ask, why do you speak to them in parables? In other words, they don't understand. We understand that there's more, but why? They knew that there was more truth. They had the ears to hear. Verse nine, he who has ears, let him hear. That's why Jesus says, you are blessed. You are blessed. He commands them because they believe. They have seen the works of Christ. They had heard his teaching and they concluded that he is the Messiah. Friends, those who believe in Christ, they are given more truth. Those who accept Christ are given more truth. Specifically, the disciples here are blessed because they have been placed in a very uh, privileged position, historically speaking. So absolutely, we who, who receive Christ, we who believe in Christ are blessed. We're fortunate. We are approved through our faith in Christ. But here he's talking about more specifically, I think, in terms of the 12, in terms of their position in redemptive history. These disciples are blessed because they are given these mysteries of the kingdom as those who were laid the foundation for the church. Because here's what he says in verse 17. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. There were many of those like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and all of them who wrote stuff down in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter says that they went back and they studied their own writings in order to see what, what person or time the spirit within them was indicating. Right, as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. They didn't understand all of these things and Jesus says, you are blessed, why? Because many of those who wrote that original revelation, the Old Testament revelation, they looked forward, man, will this be our time? Are we actually gonna see Jesus walking in the flesh? And he says, you are blessed, you are more fortunate 
because you will be given to know the mysteries, the insights, new revelation about this kingdom, the church age. They were specifically given these things in order to advance Christ's mission, advance his mission. So friends, what do we learn here as we close our time together? What do we want to take away? What do we want to meditate on, think through, praise the Lord for? Parables, I will remind you, they teach us that understanding of God's truth is graciously giving to those who believe in Christ and his word. And so parables, number one, they should lead us to respond in faith and obedience to the revealed truth. We all know God's truth. Truth is here being preached. We are exposed to the gospel message. Have we responded initially by believing, by repenting? And friends, Christians, believers, do we continue to respond in faith and repentance today? When we believe in his word and obey what he says, we are told that he will be given more. We will have more understanding of the truth. So the call is be careful how you listen. Be careful how you listen. And number two, the parable should just lead us to respond in praise. To respond in praise. Because we understand here that it's all of grace. We've been given something. It was revealed to us. Pure mercy, pure grace, undeserved. I don't know how else to put it. God is good to us, friends. We know Jesus Christ. We believe in Christ, and since we know and believe in Jesus Christ, then we are secured in him as we heard last Sunday from Colossians chapter three. We are hidden in Christ preserved in him, praise him. And as we will continue to study these parables here, I hope that we grow in greater appreciation of Christ and his work in and through us right now, the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We humbly admit that we are more like the crowds and the Pharisees than we are like Jesus. And yet we thank you that you give us the perception, you give us the understanding, you give us the desire, you grow in us humility to worship Jesus, to come to your word, to read it, to be exposed, to repent of our sin, to acknowledge our wrongdoing, and to cast everything on Christ who died for us and be encouraged and motivated to express our love through obedience. We praise you for that. Oh, help us, I pray, to continue to believe, continue to trust your word. And we do pray that in your grace that you would continue to reveal yourself to us as we study your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.